It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, June 6, 2013. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, joins me. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good to be with you and looking forward to an interesting discussion tonight. But before we do, we need to talk about a special event coming up. Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about that now. We may talk about it more later. We have on the 17th and 18th, Jacob, that'll be uh, a week from from next Monday, Monday, a week from next Monday, the 17th. And then on Tuesday night, the 18th here in Columbia, uh, we are going to have our third annual Bible studies in the park. Okay. This is something that we've been doing the last couple of years. We think it's a good thing. We're continuing it. Uh, we, We make provisions with the parks department to have access to one of their facilities uh, if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, the Woodland Park is where we'll be at the at the amphitheater there. Uh, we tell everybody bring your Bibles and bring your lawn chairs. There's no there's no seating there. Bring your own lawn chairs, right. and uh, we're gonna just uh, open our Bibles and study some important things. We're gonna ask the question. The general theme of our study is going to be, does it matter? Right. Does it matter what I believe? Does it matter what I did to be saved? Does it matter what church I'm a member of? Does it matter how I worship? Basically, we're going to be addressing what has become a very common idea that yes. it do, most people think it doesn't matter. Right. And so we're going to we're going to see from the Bible: does it matter or not? And uh, David McPherson from Galena, Indiana, will be here. I'm going to bring some of the lessons. He's going to bring some of the lessons. We'll be opening it up for questions, uh, and uh, hopefully it'll be a, a good study. I guess we could give a little spoiler here. We're not going to all this work because we think it doesn't matter. <laughs> it would be pretty <laughs> yeah. obvious. Uh, we think it does matter and, uh, and, and plan to present proofs as to why we think God does care yeah. about these things. Yeah, and so uh, if you're at all within driving distance of Columbia, Tennessee, we certainly invite you to come. Hope you will. If we've not met you before, it would be a great opportunity to meet you in person. Uh, if you if we know you already, it'd be a great chance to see you again, uh, and I think to engage in some important Bible study. So we hope everybody will come. That is uh, Thursday, uh, Monday, September or June seventeenth, Tuesday, June eighteenth, two thousand thirteen, Woodland Park in Columbia, Tennessee. And the best way to get there is to email for directions. Yeah, you, if if you're not familiar with that, you can email for directions. You could get on Google Maps and put in Woodland Park, Columbia, Tennessee. It'll show up. Okay. Uh, but it, it's it's a little bit out of the way. Everybody in our in our town knows where it is. But if you were coming from some distance, you might need a little help locating it. And it'll be at the amphitheater there. Right. And there will be no collection, no gathering, just uh, just Bible study. Just going to study and then go our way. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, look forward to that. And if you have any questions, questions at collegeview.com is the way. You can get more information. All right, on to the discussion for tonight. Interesting. We'll All right, t- tonight we've got two topics that are unrelated, except for the fact that they have been in the news somewhat recently. Okay. And uh, so uh, we thought maybe we could cover two questions that t- come up from time to time, Jacob. These right. are questions that are on people's minds as they're thinking about Bible things. 
One of them has to do with demon possession. Yes. Uh, it was in the news not that long ago, just last month in mm-hmm. May, mm-hmm. when the new pope in Rome prayed over someone and everyone claimed that the man was freed of demon possession. Yes. Uh, and so we want to talk about demon possession. And then in the second part of our program, our friend Chris in Atlanta sent us a news article about a man down there who who beat his five-month-old child to death and claimed he was doing it because the Bible said he was supposed to, to uh, use the rod of I correction. I have not heard about that. Did you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Chris sent this in several weeks ago, and I've been saving it in the stack of stuff. Had you had seen it before Chris sent it? No, I had not seen it before Chris sent it. Of course, Chris is in that area, and this is some local news coverage of that horrible oh, event. Terrible. But we, we want to, you know, the guy said he was doing it because the Bible told him to. Mm. And so obviously that gives bad press to what the Bible teaches on child discipline. We're going to talk about both of those subjects tonight. All right, so demon possession first, and then at the set, towards the second half of the program, disciplining children properly. Properly, and I, uh, we don't have to we don't have to look very far to find out this guy didn't do it properly. But we'll look at what the scriptures say about that. All right, so let's go to this first question. Uh, we want to hear from you. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Get in the chat room or call us eight seven seven three one four five six seven. Uh, first question, we sent this out to our update list earlier today, and as always, we tell you, get on our update list if you're not. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Say, put me on the list. And Tuesday, or Thursday, rather, uh, along about noon, we send out our update. Today, this is what we sent out. First question, news reports recently discussed the Pope and the matter of casting out demons. This raises some questions. Now, before we ask the questions, let me read a little bit of this news story. Give me the news story. Anthony's behind the controls. Anthony, Anthony, you saw the news story. Oh, Oh, hit it now. Yeah, I saw the picture um, of the supposed exorcism, and uh, it looked like the guy was in some sort of distress, and there was definitely some... uh, There were some hands being placed. Yes, uh, but I haven't read any about it, so I'm excited to hear about it. Well, he got his hands placed on his head, and the question is, was there a demon in him, and did it get cast out, or was he just getting a nice head massage there? Well, here we go. Uh, This is an Associated Press story dated May the 21st. Now... Uh, this would have happened on May the 19th. Okay. okay. Uh, Associated Press says, Post Pope Francis's fascination with the devil took on a remarkable new twist Tuesday with a well-known exorcist insisting that Francis helped liberate a Mexican man possessed by four different demons. However, the Vatican insists that no such papal exorcism took place. Mm-hmm. The case concerns a 43-year-old husband and father who traveled to Rome from Mexico to attend Pope Francis's Mass uh, in St. Peter's Square. At the end of the Mass, Francis blessed several wheelchair-bound faithful, as he always does, including a man possessed by the devil, according to the priest who brought him. Francis laid his hands on the man's head and recited a prayer. The man heaved deeply a a half-dozen times, shook, then slumped in his wheelchair. The images broadcast worldwide prompted the television station of the Italian Bishops' Conference to declare that according to their several exorcists, there was no doubt that Francis either performed an exorcism or a simpler prayer to free the man from the devil. Gabriel Amorth, who is a Catholic priest, a leading exorcist for the Diocese of Rome, said that he himself also performed a lengthy exorcism of his own on the man Tuesday morning. This would have been Tuesday after the Pope did it on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And he ascertained that the man from Mexico was possessed by four separate demons. Four demons. Four demons. 
He says, but concerning what Francis did, he said that was a true exorcism. Now, this is the top Mexican, uh, a top uh, Roman Catholic exorcist. And so he, he claims to know. Okay, well, then, and, and he says that was what the Pope did was a true exorcism. And they have an exorcism department, I guess, in the Catholic Church. Well, yeah, we're going to read about that here in a minute. Okay. He says, fueling the speculation that Francis did indeed perform an exorcism is his frequent reference to Satan in his homilies or sermons, as well as an apparent surge in demand. There's a, did you know this? There's a surge in demand for exorcisms among the faithful, despite the irreverent treatment the right often receives from Hollywood. Oh, boy. Okay, There's now. an interest in this. Okay, a little bit more here before we okay. get to our discussion. Okay. You've got to be up on the news here, Jacob. You've got to know this news. Okay. Uh, here's, here's just a quick statement about this. Uh, this guy's name is uh, Gabriel A. Morth. He's a Catholic priest. He's the Catholic Church's top exorcist. Top. Who claims to have sent 160,000 demons back to hell. Wow. Yeah, he's, he's, he says he's, he's sent 100. He's been busy. Yeah. He says he wants Pope Francis to allow priests all to allow all priests to start performing the ritual to deal with a rising demand for exorcisms from the faithful. This Amorth, who is 88, heads the International Association of Exorcists, uh-huh. told the Sunday Times that he will ask Pope Francis to allow all priests the right to do exorcisms without the church's approval. According to the report, priests currently need special approval from their bishops to perform the rite, and it is rarely granted. Wow. Uh, Amorth says the Pope is also the Bishop of Rome, and like any bishop, he is also a qualified exorcist. Now, wow. one last news okay. update. Now, that was May twenty, May 19th when the Pope laid hands on the man. This, May 21st when this top exorcist in Rome says he exorcised demons from the man. Mm-hmm. Here's an update. Associated Press dated May 29th. Okay, about seven days later. A 43-year-old Mexican father of two claims to be possessed by demons and whom Pope Francis prayed over earlier this month in what some witnesses likened to a public exorcism insists that he still has demons in him. Oh. He's, uh, the man told Spanish-speaking newspaper El Mundo that he had undergone, undergone some 30 exorcisms by 10 exorcists, including the renowned Roman exorcist Gabriel Amorth, who all tried unsuccessfully to free him from his affliction. Uh, he says, I still have the demons inside me. They have not gone away. Wow. So there you go. Okay. Uh, there's the, the Catholic Church was in quite a stir over the fact that the Pope had apparently exercised the demon, but the man said, they're still in there. Mm-hmm. They're still in there. They ain't gone nowhere. <laughs> so, so apparently it didn't work. All right. Okay. Well. So, so that's all the news. Now the rest of the story, as, as Paul Harvey used to say. Yeah. Uh, so based upon these news reports, we have a couple of questions. First of all, when we read about demon possession in the Bible, yes. was that just a way for ignorant and superstitious people in times past to explain mental or physical ills that they did not understand? Yeah. You know, that's what skeptics say. You know, all that stuff yeah. we read about in the New Testament where they were casting out demons, They, you read that stuff, and it was really, it was just some... Psychological it, disorder. A, a psychological disorder, maybe a physical malady like um, uh, epilepsy or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. You know, that, And they didn't know that stuff. They mm-hmm. they didn't understand those medical conditions, and so... They were superstitious. Because they, and, and they were superstitious, and so they, since they didn't know, they just assigned it to demons. Yeah. It never was a real phenomenon, but it, it, that's just how they explained it. Right. That's the first question. And then the second question we want to ask is, can people still be possessed by demons today? Yeah. And then, but then we'll get to the child discipline 
thing a little bit later. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Chris in the U.K., uh, since in his response to was demon possession merely a way for ignorant and superstitious people in times past to explain mental or physical ills that they did not understand, Chris says, I may be prejudiced as to this question as I have an autistic son. They could have been ignorant as there are, as there are many even academics who can't figure out everything as to the uh, ASD spectrum of disorders or maybe, say, the likes of schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. But you would be speculating, possibly, for us to say what first century people thought. So Chris says, perhaps. I would say, from what we see about the incidences of demon possession in the New Testament, uh, that it was not uh, the result of superstitious people, because these demons possess characteristics that these other diseases don't possess. Well, let's let's look at that. Let's look at it from the Bible to see if we can make an answer. Of course, okay. that is the... That is the modernist explanation. Yes. They they always try to explain away any true supernatural miracles in the Bible mm-hmm. with some naturalistic explanation. Yes. And so they say that's all it was. It was just superstitious. It was some means of explaining what they didn't understand. Right. But but uh, look at a couple examples where you might say the man uh, uh, just had a physical malady. For instance, Matthew nine thirty two. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. Well. Dumb, not dumb means, about his intelligence there. Dumb means not able to speak. Mm-hmm. Why can't this man speak? Well, he must have a demon. You yes. know? And so that was a, 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 a an obvious physical problem that they couldn't explain. Right. They assigned a demon to okay. it. Or here's another one. Matthew 12, 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. Again, here's... Clear physical maladies that they couldn't address, didn't have any means to treat. Yes. Could it be that they just superstitiously said it was a demon? Or yes. one more. Here's one that, that really maybe uh, would indicate. One of the mul- This is Mark 9, beginning verse 17. One of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. Mm-hmm. You know that description? Have you ever seen somebody have a grand mal seizure? No. Maybe an epileptic. Um, Anthony, ever seen that? I have. You have. And and that would that would potentially sound like what maybe is being described there. And so that would that's the. Uh, the basis upon which these moderns said that's all it was it wasn't anything supernatural and and jesus nor any of his disciples was ever able to to cast those kind of demons out because they weren't real right now here's here's a couple problems with that view what do you got there problems with this first first of all demons the demon possessed people are distinguished from those who had diseases in in most of the new testament accounts for instance mark 1 verse 3 at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed by demon, by devils. All right, they're making a distinction. Making a distinction. Here's okay. again, Luke six seventeen, beginning. A great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. So notice, they brought those who had diseases, and they brought those who had unclean spirits. Mm-hmm. So... First, the first observation we would make in, in addressing this skeptical argument that all they were doing was just superstitiously explaining away something that they couldn't explain otherwise mm-hmm. is to say, 
Well, they knew what diseases were. And when they were, when it's described here, there's, there's a distinction made. People with diseases, people with devils. Now, we would grant that they didn't have the level of medical understanding that we have today, but they did understand sickness, and these demon possessions were distinctly different. They they recognized them to be different from physical malady. Okay, all right. All right, all right. maybe we want to take our first break, Jacob, when we get back uh, uh We'll, uh, so you've got other more convincing okay. arguments. I think here. some better arguments. Too. And Jim in the chat room has uh, submitted some as well. We'll talk about that. Uh, Anthony as well behind the controls is joining in the chat room, and you can as well. The chat room is to the right of your video window. The email address is questions at collegeu.com, and the telephone line is toll-free and wide open at 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Don't go anywhere. You might miss something. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. This is Monty Overton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We appreciate your interest in the Bible. It is, after all, God's message to us. We thought you might be encouraged by a poem written by A.Z. Conrad entitled, The Bible Stands. It goes like this. Century follows century. There it stands. Empires rise and fall and are forgotten. There it stands. Dynasty succeeds dynasty. There it stands. Kings are crowned and uncrowned. There it stands. Emperors decree its extermination. There it stands. Atheists rail against it. There it stands. Agnostics smile cynically. There it stands. Profane, prayerless punsters caricature it. There it stands. Unbelief abandons it. There it stands. Higher critics deny its claimed inspiration. There it stands. The flames are kindled against it. There it stands. The tooth of time gnaws but makes no dent in it. There it stands. Infidels predict its abandonment. There it stands. Modernism tries to explain it away. There it stands. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. In a survey by the Public Religion Research Institute, 62% of adults between ages 18 and 29 said they supported gay marriage and 71% supported civil unions. Among adults 65 and older, only 31% favored same-sex marriage and 51% supported civil unions. As young people become increasingly supportive of homosexual relationships, many of them are leaving the church they grew up in. According to a study published by the Barner Group, respondents listed judgmental attitudes towards sexuality as one of the top five reasons that 59% of youth disconnect from their church after they turn 15. In an effort to stay relevant, some churches have bowed to cultural pressure and now preach acceptance of homosexual relationships. That information is via religion today. The Word of God says in Romans 1, beginning verse 26, For this cause God gave them up into vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. How about logging off of Facebook and getting into God's book? The Virtual Bible Study continues. And we're back on the program tonight. We're talking about demon possession till the bottom of the hour. Then we're going to get into uh, disciplining children uh, on the second half of the program tonight. want to hear your thoughts. Give us a call. Send us an email. All right. In the chat room, Henry S. Uh, says in Matthew eight twenty-eight through 34, the demons know who Jesus was. And that would be another argument that I would make about yeah. the fact that this was a real phenomenon. The demons were real. Uh Henry S. mentions Matthew 8, beginning verse 28. When he, when he, Jesus, was come to the other side into the country, the Gergesenes, 
There met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Notice they knew who Jesus was, uh, and they understood something about what their destiny was as well. Yes. And so this that certainly doesn't sound like somebody who has epilepsy or mental illness or some yeah. other kind of sickness. And there's just several incidents like that. Um, Mark chapter 1, verse 23, beginning, There was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Yeah. And so they got personality. They got personality. They got knowledge. They, they, they know. They manifest themselves in different sorts of ways. Um, I don't know. There, there are just several of them. You know, in that same episode in Matthew 8 that Henry S. brought up, when, when Jesus cast them out, keep reading there, verse 30, there was a good way off from them a herd of many swine feeding. Yeah. So, the, so the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. Well, now, if it was just mental illness, yeah, right. how did that mental illness pass from that guy to that whole herd of yeah. swine, and then they run off and drown themselves in the water? Yeah, yeah Anthony, if it's a schizophrenia and the you know the psychologist takes care of the you know helps the person overcome the schizophrenia, you don't see pigs running out uh, and jumping off cliffs. Right. I think these are, this is an important point that that I think you know illustrates that that this doesn't have a natural explanation. All right, and and you sent in the chat room as well, Anthony. If it was a sickness, a mental illness, or a physical illness. Jesus would have uh, been in error to not point that out and perpetuate the, the misconception. Right. I mean, as was Greg pointed out, there's a clear distinction made between diseases and demon possession. So if Jesus being all-knowing, you know, he would know whether this person had epilepsy or, or schizophrenia. He wouldn't, you know, know that and then pretend that, you know, perpetuate this idea that, no, it's really this demon thing and let's go through this silly act of, this exorcism business, right. so it just yeah. doesn't make sense. Uh, well, that I, yeah, actually, Anthony, I think that's the strongest case against this modernistic explanation of, of demon possession. Yes, it would make Jesus a fake and a liar. Yeah, you know, uh, there's a there's a very important statement about Jesus. First Peter two twenty two, concerning Jesus, Peter said, "Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth." The word for guile there means literally a trick or bait, craft deceit subtlety mm-hmm. jesus would most certainly be guilty of that if he or of course he's the all he, he's the almighty son of god the right. you know the infinite eternal savior so he knows that this demon possession thing is just a superstitious right nothing mm-hmm. but he's going to play to it you know yeah. he, he, he's going to he's going to lead the people on he knows better they're suckers but, but he's yeah. just going to lead them along a little bit make them think that he has a power over it these things right well that would certainly make him guilty of guile and of course we know that he did not manifest guile so along those lines in the chat room jim says uh, to say such is to cast doubt on the lord himself who said he cast out devils in matthew 12 28 exactly right all right thank you jim all right so uh, before we get to the, our halftime break then the other part of this question we've got to deal with First question is, demon possession was real. Certainly it manifested itself in the first century. Jesus and his and other inspired people, the apostles and others, addressed demons uh, in the first century. Now, second question. Jim makes, a, Jim makes a point. One more. 
What about those men in Acts 16 who had the woman possessed and they were making a living out of her? Who had Paul and Silas cast into prison because they cast the evil spirit out of her? They provide testimony that she was possessed. And they also provide testimony that she wasn't possessed after uh, Paul and Silas got done with it. Yeah, that there was something going on and Paul and Silas wrecked their industry by casting the demon out of the woman. Right. Yeah, so, you know, they, they here, here are some, by the way, the, these are non-Christians. These are non-believers who are acknowledging the reality of the demon that possessed that woman in Acts okay. 16. That's a great point. Thank you, Jim. Uh, uh, Jim, thanks for, for sending that in. All right, the other part of our question is, can, so if it was real then, can it happen today? Now, obviously, the Catholic Church thinks it can still happen today because they got they got professional exorcists. Uh, the Pope himself supposedly has demonstrated some ability in these matters. They got the, so, the Association of International Exorcists. Is that well, what it is? Well, well, let me look at back up. Uh, this 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 top exorcist, this Roman Catholic priest, who says he's cast out 160,000 demons. He is the head of the International Association of Exorcists. IAE. So, so they OU. So they obviously believe that there are demons possessing men today. Right. What, what's the Bible say about that? All right. I'm going to say no uh, for several reasons. And uh, we'll look at Chris's answer. Get, get, get Chris's answer ready to go there, for, okay. uh, All right. uh, Jacob. But I would say no. Here's the reason. Here's my reasoning on this. I think it's biblically based. First of all, when demons possessed men, God himself empowered his servants to cast out demons. So God was, you know, demonstrating a superior power to that of Satan. Satan mm-hmm. had power. God mm-hmm. had superior power. Right. Satan had power to, to, to put demons in men. God had power to cast the demons out. So even though Satan was manifesting a power, God was demonstrating a greater power. Here's the problem. By the way, to cast out demons was one of the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. But as we have studied many times on the virtual Bible study, we believe that the age of miracles, men being empowered by the Holy Spirit to perform supernatural acts, we believe that that time has ended. We've dealt with that numerous times on the virtual Bible study. We won't dive into that tonight. But think about this. So if God is not empowering men through the Holy Spirit to do miracles today, but demons still possess men today, then you've got a situation where Satan is being able to demonstrate a power greater than God. Uh, and you would it, it would put these demon-possessed people in an unsalvageable situation. No, there, would, there would be no hope for them. Because God's not going to empower men to work miracles. But if Satan can still have his demons possess the bodies of men today, those people who are thus de- demon-possessed are... In, in a hopeless situation, and God wouldn't put them in that situation. Do we have an account of demon possession in the Old Testament? Yeah. Uh, King Saul, remember, had an evil yes. spirit distress yes. him. When, okay. When he had turned his heart against God, right. God had rejected him. Then a, an evil spirit okay. troubled him frequently. Okay. So, okay. yes. Okay. Yes, sir. Uh, but here's, here's here's I think, is a key verse. And if you don't have this one marked in your Bible, you need to mark it in your Bible Zechariah 13, 1 and 2. Zechariah 13, beginning verse 1. In that day, so he's talking about a specific time. In that day, something's going to happen. There shall be a fountain open to the house of David, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and uncleanness. Sounds like uh, the coming of Christ, right. the coming of the Messiah, salvation. Right. All right. So in that day, in, the, in, in conjunction with that time, 
when salvation will be extended through the Messiah. It shall come to pass, it goes on to say, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord of hosts, saith the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. Mm-hmm. Notice, prophets will end. We believe they did in the first century time frame after mm-hmm. God had completed his revelation of mankind. Jesus came, the word was revealed, the prophecies ended. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13 teaches the end of prophecy. Yeah. The prophets went out of the land. But in conjunction with the prophets passing out of the land, the unclean spirit would also pass out of the land. And that would tie in with what we were saying earlier. If God took away the power to deal with the unclean spirits, then he's not going to let unclean spirits have that power anymore. Right. Okay. I think that's. I think that is the best argument I could offer. All right. Uh, Zechariah 13, 1 and 2. Uh, what did Chris say about that? Yeah, we need, I'm sorry, I missed Chris. He says, the first thing I would note is no Christian can be possessed by a demon. The story parable about a man who is relieved of demon possession, the demon comes back to repossess, sees it as unoccupied, and comes back with seven more. It implies, I don't know this is an implication, I don't know this, it is an implication I'm making, to me that uh, he had been occupied, had he been occupied, he wouldn't have been repossessed. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, in whom you, uh, he quotes, in whom you also, having heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you have believed, have, in, in, in whom, having also believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is our earnest of our, and in our earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of God's own possession, unto the praise of his glory, making us God's possession and cannot be anyone else's, plus Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, First John 4, verse 4. Can we be possessed by them, say like Job? Yes, within God-given parameters, but possession... We can be oppressed by them, like Job, he says, within God-given parameters, but possession, no. As to the non-Christian, that cannot be ruled out. But I know this, they can lead them into error rather than the truth uh, can be given over to their lust as they suppress the truth and unrighteousness can worship them as if they are God, Allah, Mormonism, and the like. You open yourself up to things that control you like drugs or hypnosis. Can that thing be demons? And can that control you completely to the point that it possesses you? Uh, it could be a possibility. Two things about Chris's comments. First of all, drugs and hypnosis are not demon possession. Yeah. Uh, those, those are, and so I wouldn't say... Yeah, you can you can get under the control of drugs or hypnosis or anything else. You can let other things control you, but that's not demon possession. Right. That would be different. Secondly, I don't think even non-Christians can be uh, uh, possessed, miraculously possessed by demons. In other words, an external spirit that comes in and occupies their physical body, overwhelms their spirit, making them do things that they don't want to do. I, I, I believe the scriptures is, is telling us that that doesn't happen. Okay. Now, people can get way out of control by their own doing and by by the influences of of the immoral things that are in this world, but it's not the 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 possession by an external spirit coming in and possessing the body as it was in the first century. All right. In the chat room, uh, Henry P says, uh, "Plus, Luke was a doctor, and he would know what an illness was and what it wasn't." Uh, now, that goes to our first point. Yeah. That, that physical diseases were distinguished from demon possession. And Jim says, when Jesus was resurrected, he destroyed death and him that had the power of death, that is the devil, Hebrews 2, verse 14. In destroying the devil and his power, he bound him and his ministers or devils so that they could no longer do what they did before. 
think that's right, Jim. I think you're right. Randy in, in Jackson, Missouri has asked, can a true Christian be demon-possessed? Or and put it another way, can a demon and the Holy Spirit indwell the same person at the same time? I'm going to say no on the broader basis that I'm saying neither Christian nor non-Christian can be possessed by a demon. I just don't believe that demon possession happens today. I think the scriptures rule it out. Okay. All right. Uh, let us know your thoughts. We're going to take a break get this week's bullet point. When we get back, we've got a full discussion on uh, disciplining children. A guy in Atlanta killed his five-year-old boy. Five-month-old. Five-month. Five-year. No, five here. So well, it says five years. Well, I mistyped that. It was five months? Yeah. I'm rereading that here. We'll read it when we get back, but I'm pretty sure we're going to see wow. it. it as a five-month-old child. Sad story. Yeah, what, five does, month what old, does the five Bible teach old. about disciplining children? We'll talk about that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Got a question about something you've heard on the Virtual Bible Study? Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. On a road trip through the mountains of western North Carolina, I happened upon a tiny village named Loafer's Glory. There was no one around to say how that name became associated with the little community. Probably everyone was taking a nap or something like that. But the very thought of it put me to thinking, what a place to live. If you don't want to mow the grass or paint the house or haul off the trash, don't worry. After all, such things are surely not expected in a place with a name like that. And if anyone complains, you can simply tell them that you're doing what comes naturally in Loafer's Glory. I have an idea that it might be an excellent place to begin a church right there in the middle of Loafer's Glory. I think that lots of Christians would be ready to join. In the Loafer's Glory Church, there wouldn't be anyone hounding you to teach a class or do personal work or volunteer for service around the building. No one would expect you to be faithful in attending all the services of the church or to study your Bible. Bible classes would be unheard of because no one would come even if they were scheduled. And a midweek meeting for study and prayer, no way. The problem, I suppose, would be that such a church would die before it got started. For no church, regardless of its size, can ever succeed without members who want to work. And that goes for any church. As members of the body of Christ, you need to work, not loaf, for there's no glory in that. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, my name is Kent Bumgardner. My family and I love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. Please join us. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The Virtual Bible Study rolls along. We're back on the program tonight, and we want to hear from you. We will remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Remind you of that uh, special event happening on June 17th and 18th, 2013. Uh, our meetings in the park, our Bible studies in the park at Woodland Park in Columbia. Find out more about that by emailing us, questions at collegeview.com. We'd encourage you to come to those Bible studies if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area. We're talking about, well, we just wrapped up a discussion of demon possession. Now we're going to talk about disciplining children. And uh, there may have been a typo in your update email. There was. Chris in Atlanta, our, our uh, very faithful correspondent from Atlanta, sent in a news story. Let me read it to you. It's pretty brief. This is from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution newspaper. Uh, A DeKalb County father says the Bible made him do it. Benjamin Etan Lin was sentenced to 18 years in prison Wednesday for beating his five-month-old son to death. Unbelievable. Five months. His defense is that he adhered to Proverbs 13, which taught him, quote, spare the rod, spoil the child, unquote. But prosecutors said he went too far and his discipline killed his five-month-old child in his home. Mm. Uh, assistant district attorney, the assistant district attorney said he beat his five-month-old, his two-year-old daughter, and a one-year-old son. Wow, he's got a 
five-month-old, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old, and he used the Bible to justify it. The defendant stated that he disciplined the children according to the book of Proverbs in the Bible. Prosecutor said the boy died from blunt force trauma. He suffered brain injuries and a broken leg. Mm. The, the attorney for the defense told the court that his client truly loves his children. He firmly believed in the adage, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. He faced murder charges, but he pleaded guilty to a reduced charge of involuntary manslaughter and several counts of child cruelty. And the sentence for 18 years in prison was handed down. Mm. Uh, so that, that's really sad. And, boy, you know, what what bad press this gives to whatever the Bible says about child discipline. Really? You follow the Bible, what ends up is that you, you, you beat a five-month-old child so badly that he dies from his injuries. That's what you, I'm telling you, Jay, that's what you Bible believers believe. Right. You believe that, and that just proves be, beyond any shadow of doubt that the Bible is just wrong, and it should be rejected because when people follow it, that's what you get. Written by a bunch of Neanderthals and uh, just uh, no, no, yeah, doesn't make any sense. Well, let's see what but, it says. But, uh, you understand, I'm speaking. Right, as yeah. the, uh, That's the argument they're going right. to make. Absolutely. Uh, when, when they hear a news story like that. Of course, there, in in recent generations, you'd have to say probably more so than just the last generation, but in the last two generations perhaps, there has been a tremendous move away from any kind of physical punishment of children and child counselors and psychologists and, and supposed experts in child rearing are unanimously uh, saying that Children should not be physically punished. Wasn't that started with Dr. Spock? Dr. Spock started that way back in the 1950s. 1950s. Uh, and, and, of course, since then, almost all child psychologists and child development experts have come on board. And let, let me read you a few quotes. This is Alvin Rosenfeld, child psychiatrist, author of the book The Art of the Obvious. He says, spanking does not... Excuse me, spanking does nothing to further the long-term goal of successful parenting. Parents spank young children because they don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. Murray, Did you know that, Anthony? No, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Murray Strauss, professor of sociology, author of the book The Beating, Beating the Devil Out of Them, Corporal Punishment in American Families. He wrote, spanking teaches kids that when someone is doing something you don't like and they won't stop doing it, you hit them. Hmm. Uh, Linda Budd who's a psychologist, author of the book, Living with the Active Alert Child. She said, if you spank your child, apologize. Own up to your mistake. Ah. The fact that you lost it once and smacked your child doesn't mean you've ruined him for life. It does indicate a need to slow down and stop before you act. Yikes. Here's one people will know better, Dr. Phil. Dr. Uh, Phil. Oh, yeah, Dr. Phil. Here's what he said about spanking specifically. If it's working so well, why does your child continue to push you to the edge? Spanking your kids may work to suppress his or her bad behavior temporarily, but it isn't a learning type of discipline. The message they get from being spanked is, I'm a bad kid, which doesn't help your child figure out what he or she did wrong or how to keep from doing it again. Mm-hmm. You know, that's well, that, there's, a, there's a leap of logic there in what he said. He's, he's assuming that when you spank your kids, you never explain what the punishment is for. And they don't know. They just got beat. They just they, got, yeah. And they don't know why. I mean, they, they, they're walking around with a, with a sore backside because they got a spanking. And they're at a complete loss as to why that happened. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's the way to do it right there. Uh, 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 yeah, Dr. Phil, I, I would have to ask him, have you ever seen someone who doesn't spank their kids get pushed to the edge continually? I have. I want to tell you, the people, who, 
the people who don't discipline their kids are getting pushed a lot harder than those who <laughs> oh, do. Think. What do you think, uh, Anthony? Yeah, I agree. I think it's interesting. You know, I don't know anybody's kids who have, you know, um, been spanked on a regular basis that go around spanking other kids. You know, there was some comment about, well, this teaches people that this is, you know, what you do. You hit people when they do things you don't like. It, it's, it does not, it doesn't result in that behavior. I think that shows, you know, the wisdom of God in this instruction. It, it, it does not result in my experience, in violent behavior from kids. Right. I don't they think understand so. it's different. It's right. not the same. Yeah, that's what I think. That's the big thing. I mean, now, do are there parents who are abusive? Yes. This guy in Atlanta was yes. clearly abusive. I mean, right. way out of control. Right. Uh, what he did is not justified in the Scripture at all. Uh, and so, yeah, you, you know, somebody who administers physical discipline to their children in a wrong way could teach them a bad wrong lesson i would i would argue yeah, that's probably true but when properly administered uh physical punishment against children is is actually taught and instructed in the word of god i got a list of some of the proverbs jacob okay uh, let me read let me just read these uh, they're all so clear you, you don't even have to comment on them proverbs thirteen twenty four. He that spareth his rod hateth his son but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes or frequently parents say i love him too much to spank him God says you're lying. What that passage, I said I wasn't going to comment about it, but what that passage says basically is if you love them, you'll go to this, even though it's not an easy thing to do, not a pleasant thing to do. If you love them, you will do them, do this for them. They need it. Proverbs 19:18. Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Proverbs 22:15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 23, um, 13 and 14, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shall deliver his soul from hell. Mm-hmm. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen, 15, the, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Mm-hmm. And so all the, you know, all the wise statements in the Proverbs in the Old Testament teach that Using physical discipline is a necessary thing. It's a it's it's actually when properly viewed, it's a loving thing to do. Uh, it's it's certainly necessary for children if they're going to be de- developing properly. All right, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. If you'd like to comment, Paul in the chat room said any child discipline should have the best interest of the child as the purpose. I have heard an old man almost brag that his dad hit him in the head with, by, with a two by four. I thought that it was sad. Please know I believe in corporal uh, discipline. For the good of the child. Uh, Henry P. says, but five months old, what would he learn from that? And uh, Yeah, well, that's one of the things that's wrong with that news story that we read is that this was just a five-month-old child. I mean, a five-month-old child certainly is not old enough to understand what the, what the intention of the beating was for. Uh, and, of course, the beating was way out of control. And if it was bad enough to cause death, it's obviously more than what the scriptures would authorize. And Henry goes on, he says he knows kids who have hit their parents because the parents weren't doing what they wanted them to do. Uh, for instance, not getting candy at the store. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, You've seen that, I was. Yeah, I've seen that, but I think in, in what I'm imagining that I've seen is more, you know, probably stems from the parents just whacking kids across, you know, upside the head or, you know, punching them in the arm. I mean, I've seen parents... You know, in public, do that. They're not spanking the kids in a 
um, controlled type of way. It's an aggression. Right. Yeah. It's more it's out of aggression. It's just a whack, you know. And so, yeah, I think kids do mimic that because it's not proper. You know, in the New Testament, someone might ask the question, we just read a whole host of verses from the Proverbs, and somebody said, well, where does it say in the New Testament? Spank your child. Mm-hmm. That might be a greater challenge to come up with a New Testament verse that specifically mentions corporal punishment. Uh, uh, and maybe some of our corresponders in the chat room might know a verse. One verse that does come to mind is that would teach us to balance our discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's the warning that you could go overboard with this and and frustrate your children. In other words, it could be counterproductive to what you want to do. So discipline, including physical discipline, which the Bible clearly teaches, needs to be done in such a manner that it's not counterproductive to the outcome that you want, and that is to teach a child to discipline himself. All right. Paul says there's a difference between swatting a toddler or smacking a hand and abusing the same child. Uh, and then you said it comes down to your, your purpose and your intent. You know, one of the things that we might want to get to, and I think we might have a little time to get to this in our in our last segment, Jacob, what what guidelines, those of you in the chat room, chime in here. What guidelines would you give parents? In other words, I got this kid, and I'm just, I'm ready to beat his brains out. I'm, I'm so mad at him, I could just pop. Yeah. Well, what kind of guidelines would you give a parent who is at the breaking point? You know, Dr. Phil used the expression of being pushed to the edge. Let's say you're on the ragged edge. What what biblical guidelines and what parenting guidelines would be appropriate to somebody who is at that at that point? And it's a shame because we've got grandparents here in the audience tonight, and they're not going to be any help to us at all. Probably not. They've forgotten all about That's it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Uh, let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Wow. It isn't so hard to understand the Bible after all. There's more exciting study and discussion coming after these messages. Hello, my name is Trent Haynes, and I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. In a scanning of the book of Proverbs, it provides us several reasons to discipline our children. To show you don't hate them, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him, chapter 13, verse 24. To give them hope, discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death, chapter 19, verse 18. To help them for a lifetime, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Chapter 22, verse 6. To chase away foolishness. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Chapter 22, verse 15. To save his soul, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. Chapter 23, verse 13 through 14. For your own comfort, discipline your child, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Chapter 29, verse 17. Parents need to read and understand these passages. So too should our children. Here's some quotes worth pondering. The consequences of today are determined by the actions of the past. To change your future, alter your decisions today. You can be committed to the church but not committed to Christ, but you cannot be committed to Christ and not committed to his church. Man, wish I'd said that. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. We're back on the program tonight, and we're going to finish up our discussion about disciplining children. Look at several passages that uh, tell us, uh, from the Old Testament especially, tell us that we must be uh, disciplining our children. Proverbs 13, 24, 19, 18, 22, 15, 23, 13, and 14, and Proverbs 29, verse 15. Uh, 
you don't have to look very far, especially in the book of Proverbs, to find uh, numerous instructions that uh, discipline is uh, commanded by God. Let me read what Chris in the U.K. and in, in England has said about this question we sent out earlier. What does the Bible teach about physical punishment of children? He says we are to discipline our children as God assumes we will do. Hebrews 12:7 says it is, it is for chastening that ye endure. God deal with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father chasteneth not? Uh, Proverbs 3, verse 11, beginning, My son despise not the chastening of Jehovah, neither be weary of his reproof. For whom Jehovah loveth, he reproveth, even as the father of the son in whom he delighteth. Those passages, I think, Jacob, do clarify that this punishment yes. is a, a manifestation of love. Properly administered, right. it's a manifestation of love. I think that there would, uh, Proverbs, uh, Hebrews 12, verse 7, is another passage in the New Testament there that, Henry, that Chris has brought up that yeah. would show us that it's, it's sanctioned in the New Testament as well. That's good. That's right. We were asking for yeah. that, and there's one right he says, now, how should it be done? What is your rod? That's open interpretation, but whatever we do should be immediate, so it is connected with the wrongdoing, proportionate, so it is fair as to the age and persistency of the problem, temperate, done under control, not done in haste or in anger. At the end, they should respond with grief, but know they are loved. Uh, we are to ex- exasperate them to wrath. We are not to exasperate them to wrath, but rather that they may respect you. He's quoting Ephesians 6, verse 4 there, as opposed to fearing you. So they will not do that because that's not what my father wants me to do, rather than because they don't want to get, uh, oh, this this must be this what, is a little, English uh, jargon yeah. here. He says, so they won't get a hiding when they get oh, home. Oh, it's like a tanning their hides? T- tanning their hides, I think. A that's hiding. Yeah. We, we call it a whooping yeah. uh, in the South, and they call it a hiding in yeah. England. Mm-hmm. He says, there's no excuse for killing your son. It shows me you're not under self-control. It's completely wrong. Absolutely. Right. Chris has given us several good pointers there. I, I like them all. Immediate, so it's connected with the wrongdoing. Proportionate, fair as to age and persistency. Yes. Temperate, done under control, not in haste or in anger. Uh-huh. I think that last one is especially important. I think I failed in that as a parent. Uh, I can remember episodes involving you, Jacob, when I disciplined, when I, w- I realized later I was not under control. Right. That's a tough thing for parents, uh, and I think that's something to really work at. Okay. All right. Uh, in the chat room, uh, uh, Paul asked an interesting question. Uh, there's a difference. Between, uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, let me get to Paul's question. Uh, do you gentlemen uh, have any thoughts about using an instrument of discipline as, a, as in a rod? One friend believed in using a paddle or such so as uh, that the discipline is associated with the instrument and not the parent or the parent's hand. I've heard that, and there may be some justification to that. Paul says in Scripture it often speaks of the rod. Right, right. Uh, certainly it, it's uh, biblical to use an instrument of sp- to do yes. the spanking. I don't know that the hand would be completely out of bounds. It's, I don't know that it's, it's forbidden in anything that the Bible would teach, but as Paul says, it def- the Bible definitely suggests the use of such an instrument. Um uh, Guest 540 says, I would say that it is not okay to be in a rage when you discipline your child, but it is okay to be upset with them. Why would you spank them when you are happy with right, them? Right, right. Also, consistent discipline and spanking is key for it to work and to get effective results. Consistency. Very important principle. I think that's apply. part of that not providing last time, the Last time the kid did this, he got a spanking. This time... The parent just looked the other way. Or he's done it 15 times, and now he gets disciplined. At the, at, on the 16th time, he, you right. know, that, that's, there's no consistency. And there's no learning with that because the, the, the child can't say, 
I know what to expect if I do this. I got to not do this because he doesn't know what to expect because it's different from time to time. Okay. So consistency, very good rule. All right. Henry uh, says immediate, temperate, and done in control with a sense to correct and bring about godly character. Right. All right. And Anthony, you said something about uh, psychology. Yeah, I was just responding to Paul's comment about the using an instrument or something. It's like it sort of makes sense, but I wonder how far that would go. But uh, from a practical matter, it might be easy, uh, easier, though. I have to say, I remember when my kids were younger and I was having to do this, you know, they you can end up uh, getting uh, being harmed yourself with your hand, and if they put their hand back there or do something and move around, I remember whacking my <laughs> wrist I on have. something yeah. or whatever. So, no, from a practical standpoint, maybe you should consider that. Well, but, uh, but you know, of course, in the world that would that sounds even more egregious if you're using a paddle or a belt or something. Oh, a then switch. you're really out there. Okay. Guest 25 says uh, you don't want to punish your child when you're angry. When you're angry, you tend to do things you wouldn't normally do when calm. We need to see the child needs help and not get angry when they make a mistake. Instead, correct the fault. Some faults only require a stern look or a few. Uh, uh, correct and specific words identifying your dislike. Yeah, I think everybody would agree to that. In other words, not everything deserves a spanking. We're not saying the Bible teaches spanking, so every single time your child misbehaves, spank them. Yes. We're not saying that. I don't think the Bible teaches that. Uh, it, but it certainly teaches spanking as a, as, a, as a means of child discipline. And Henry P. in the chat room, I believe Henry P. is Chris, uh, who, who uses the term the hiding. He in, has defined that hiding equals spanking. Yeah. That's the way it works in Britain and the U.S. Hiding is a technique used by children to avoid a spanking. Yeah, you might you might understand that, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Uh, over here, if a child thinks he might get a spanking, he goes and yeah, hides. Right. He, he's hiding so he won't get spanked. Guess 25 again. Bottom line is to be in control and correct the fault. My dad used a belt, and it got my attention. He also used his hand. It did, I didn't associate using his hand as anything different. Bottom line is both got my attention, and yet I always respected my father till his death. He loved me, and I knew he did. I also knew my boundaries because he was clear in delineating those boundaries. Very good. I mean, obviously, Guest 25 is describing a parent who used physical discipline properly, uh, and, the, and, the, and his child learned from it. Okay. Uh, there is a... NSPCC of a dad taking off his belt with the tagline, what will you do when that doesn't work? I don't, I don't know what NPSCC is. Maybe it's Maybe. kind of a public a service yeah, announcement. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, some kind of public service announcement. Well, so, public so, in Eng- service announcement. <laughs> so in England, they're teaching against using corporal punishment okay. Okay. for children, apparently, from what what uh, Chris is saying. Paul there. says the hand is always available. Was just exploring the rod topic. I've used both. I do not recommend a belt. I think... Uh, no uh, whipping action may result in more force than you realize, uh, but it's just my view. I've received a belt a few times. Uh, yeah, okay. I, th- I think that is true. I mean, you got to be careful with that. I know, uh, Jacob, I had a big paddle that I you cut. You had a, a big paddle. A big wooden paddle that I used it on you and big. your brothers and your sister. Uh, and, I mean, it got your attention just when the paddle came out. Yes, it did. You didn't uh, have to use it too much. Not, no, didn't use it too much. You didn't wear it out. I don't want to, what happened. You guys must have gotten that sometime. I got burned. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know whatever became of that. Okay. That uh, would have been that would have been a family heir that would have been been passed down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, there was another question about this guy's antics. What does it say about the Bible? Yeah, we asked this, the follow-up question, and we'll, we'll wrap up our discussion tonight with: How can we respond to critics who say, "Okay, look at this guy in Atlanta. 
he beats his five-month-old son to death because he says he's following the Bible. This just proves the Bible is, is no good. You yeah. shouldn't be following the Bible. Look what it looks what the Bible makes people do. How, how are we going to answer those kinds of critics? Well, here's what Chris says. The interpretation was flawed, not the Bible. The man was sinning and in no, was in no way being biblical. I think that's right. You know, the same people who make that argument would uh, also argue that uh, the, the Muslims, when they blow up buildings, are not being true to their religion. So it's, it's quite a double standard. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, well, those people are just radical. They're not. Uh, they're oh, not. I see what you're saying. These yeah. liberals in our society say that when when someone misses it entirely, like this guy in Atlanta and beats his son to death, yeah. they they use that as an indictment of all Christians, all Bible believers yes. are are like that guy. Yeah. But on the other hand, when Muslims, lots of Muslims, consistently go around blowing things up and killing people. They they refuse to indict Islam at large, and they say that's a faulty interpretation. That's just, that's just yeah. some specific uh, people yeah. making a wrong interpretation right. of, the, of the Islamic religion. Right. So they're being really real inconsistent in yeah. in, in their uh, criticism. I think right. you're right. I guess 540 says it's important that we remember the ultimate purpose in spanking and discipline, which is that we are attempting to train them to be godly people as they grow up. As has been mentioned, some things merit spanking, others might not. But whatever the punishment, it should be used as a tool as we train our children not to just be obedient to us, but ultimately obedient to God's word. And that's got to be the goal. And maybe, Anthony, that's the way we rein ourselves in, our emotions in, is that the reason we discipline is because we're trying to get to train up godly children who want to be pleasing to God. Exactly right. Yeah, I think Kevin in Arkansas makes a great point. He says, you can't answer someone who's looking for excuse. They want the loophole. In other words, we're never going to, to those people who accuse, use that guy in Atlanta who beat his five-month-old son to death, if they're going to use that against all Christians, against all Bible believers, then you probably can't win an argument with them anyway. You, you can't answer them successfully. They're not looking for a reasonable answer. All right. Well, we've had a good discussion tonight. Oh, uh, guess 25 has never tried to prove a point with an extreme. Uh, appreciate that. All right. Well, we've had a good discussion tonight. We do need to remind our listeners about the special event, March or June 17th and 18th, 2013, Woodland Park, Bible Studies Tuesday. in the Park. Bible Studies in the Park, 17th and 18th. That's a week from next Monday and then Tuesday night that follows. We're gonna. Our theme is going to be, does it matter? Does it matter what I believe? Does it matter what I did to be saved? Does it matter what church I attend? Does it matter how I worship? Uh, so we'll have about an hour of Bible study every night, two short lessons from two different speakers. I'll, I'll give a lesson, and David McPherson from Glen, Indiana, will give a lesson. We'll open it up to questions, and we'll be done in about an hour. And uh, we're we're looking for hopefully good weather, no thunderstorms, no rain, and bring your lawn chairs, bring your whole family. Uh, and we've just really had a pleasant, enjoyable time the last couple of years. We've done this. We hope you'll join us if you're anywhere within a driving distance of Columbia, June Tennessee. June 17th and 18th. Yeah, if, you don't, if you're not from this immediate area and you don't know where Woodland Park is, uh, you, you can probably find that pretty easily on Google Maps. If, if you can't find it, email me, questions at collegeview.com, and we'll get you directions. And that's what time? 7 o'clock. 7 p.m. All right, we hope you'll be able to join us uh, for these special meetings. Dad, thank you for a good discussion. Thanks, Jacob. And Anthony's been behind the controls. Anthony, thank you for being here. Thanks, enjoyed it. And uh, we appreciate you for joining us as well and hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.
Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.